pray. Grant, O merciful God, that your church, being gathered together in unity by your Holy Spirit, may show forth your power among all peoples to the glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, have you ever lost something that was valuable? Something that may have been costly, that kind of valuable, or something that was valuable maybe as uh, sentimental kind of value to you. Have you ever lost something and then been stricken by, like, panic because where is it? Um, I do that with my cell phone kind of semi-frequently. And, and these days, actually, I do that with lots of things. Most of the time, I'm, it, it's, it's, it's so aggravating at this point it's that it's part of common life now that you're like, yes, I've lost that thing too. And so whatever that, you know, it's so commonplace that a lot of times I've lost something that can be valuable or it was valuable to me and I'm not even stricken by it anymore. But what about something that you've lost that was very valuable to you? How, what was your reaction? A long time ago in uh, downtown Parkersburg at G.C. Murphy Company, which was on 7th Street. Is that true? So I, I found Market, but I also found 7th. What say you, Mr. Murphy? Well, all right then. I, I, I could not, I did not, I couldn't figure that out from my Google searching, but I knew uh, Stan used to work for Murphy's, and I, I knew he would know. So uh, whatever street you want to call that then, Market or 7th, we were at Murphy's. Uh, this, young, this young mother was at Murphy's with her three children shopping. It was an average, everyday kind of experience. And she turns to count her three children, and she only comes up with two. The third one is gone. She can't find that third child. Well, of course, that third child was me. And I had gotten distracted, lost, lost track of mom. And so I headed for the car. And um, she didn't know where I was. So she went to the store manager, and the store manager said, well, where did you park? She's like, oh, dear, no, no. He wouldn't have gone to the, to the car. I was three or four years old. But she's, no, he wouldn't have gone to the car. He would have had to cross two or three stri- two streets to get there. We were parked at Dr. Warden's office, uh, which was on Avery Street. And I see that building. I'm, I'm fairly certain I got that accurate. And, and Mom was like, he couldn't have gone there. But that, that was the deal. So as I was sitting by this car, because it was locked, and I was waiting to get in. I saw a man coming by with a big wad of keys. We'll come back to that in just a minute. And, and regardless of what you think of me, my mother had lost something valuable that day. <laughs> Some people I know just wish I would get lost. My mother was not one of those. If nobody in the world did love me, my mother loved me. And she, she uh, had, had lost something valuable to her. Our lesson today... Shows us that the heart, it shows the heart of God who seeks to save the lost due to their great value to Him and His great love for them. So, this is what we're going to look at. This setting is, I believe, still at dinner. I think it's still the dinner from chapter 14. 
In chapter 14, we've been through, and um, at the very beginning of 14, it says, One Sabbath day, he went to, to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Um, and they were going to watch him carefully to see if he was going to trip up. They wanted to, they wanted to catch him. Now, whether this is that scene or not, uh, it, it appears to be another dining kind of setting because the tax collectors and sinners are gathering around him and they're making comments about how they dine. he dines with them. I like to think that it's at the end of this 14 dinner setting and regardless which one it is, Jesus is going to speak to both groups like those from chapter 14 that were gathered around the dinner and then these new groups coming around. He had pressed those in 14 with the hard messages to hear. Um, He had talked to them about uh, killing pride, uh, the great heavenly banquet, and the cost of following him. And if you'd have been one who was in attendance that day, you might have been wondering, when will this dinner party be over? When can I leave? I might need to go check something back at my house. I wonder how my sheep are doing. Because it would have been a very uncomfortable setting because as you were been in that gathered place... He wasn't saying things that were nice for your kind in that type in that place. He's saying things that are very challenging to us, and he's and he's very he's really being very confrontational as a guest in the Pharisee's home. And so, in as as he's in the midst of this, this is the way I see it: um, tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him. So. The tax collectors and sinners were drawn to Jesus because he had the truth. They knew the truth when they heard truth. And it was quite different than the religious leaders of the day. His message, his personality, his personhood. This is so strange that they would even come. Why to him? These tax collectors were among the most hated of the people of the day. John Chrysostom, who was a disciple of John, John who wrote the Gospel of John, and John that wrote Revelation. It's my understanding that he was a disciple of John, and so this is like a long time ago, this Chrysostom great preacher guy. um, He preached, he said, the tax gatherer is the personification of licensed violence, of legal sin, of spacious greed, You see, these people were hated so much because they had essentially bought a franchise from the Roman Empire. They were were Jews who essentially sold their Jewishness out. They sold out their Jewish brothers. They sold out because they invested all they could find to get a franchise uh, so that they could charge tax and be tax collectors for the Roman Empire among the Jewish brothers. So they, the traitors, people who have turned their backs on you, this is the kind of people they were. And so, in a very general way, they were hated. It was, uh, there was a great dislike here. And then there were these sinners, which I, I find an interesting category. These people in this setting, as he's describing them, these would have been the immoral people, and it's outlandishly so. So that they're doing things that are immoral, and then rubbing their, uh, the noses of the moral people and the religiously upright people in their sin. 
I don't think you have to imagine too far uh, from our current setting today to even see that kind of thing go on. People in, that are in, in love with sin, they sin, sin big, sin boldly, and then they rub their nose, uh, our nose. If, if you're a, a religious person, if you're a Christian, if you're a morally upright person, if you're one who's just trying to follow Jesus, then our noses are sort of rubbed in this. Well, so this, these, these folks are kind of hanging together, and they're lumped together because they have this same issue. They're both very much disliked. Neither one are obedient to what the Pharisees have laid out. They're not following after God at all. And so they're in the same lot as the tax collectors. These, these two are in the same group. The thing that Jesus saw in both of them is that they were both desperate for redemption. So Jesus is willing to hang out with them. And what's interesting is as Jesus is hanging out with them, and if this is at the end of the party and they're hearing him, and, they, and, and I've, I've talked about before in some of these settings where there's dinner in homes, we're visualizing our home, and uh, you know people from the street really don't wander in and out of my home a lot. Um, this is more of an open setting, kind of a, an arena kind of thing where people could come and go, sort of maybe around the edges sometimes. So this is not unlikely that they're still in the same dinner party, and then there's this kind of news going out beyond the walls of the place to say, this is what he's talking about. You ought to come here to him. So as, that, as that's happening, they're gathering around <clears throat> and listening to what Jesus has to say. And so he's going to address in this chapter, chapter 15, he's going to address this new crowd specifically with these three stories. He's got three, he's got three stories he's going to tell them, and he's dr- addressing this this the sinners and the tax collectors uh, mainly, but it's not limited to them. Because he's also, where he's, he's already put the pressure on the religious people, he's then going to go through these three stories and he's going to contrast what redemption looks like for a sinner versus these people who he had been eating with in the previous chapter. This, this, it gets good. It gets good quickly. We're going to cover two of these stories in, uh, today. We're going to do that uh, because they have the same flow. And in an odd way to go about this, we're going to hop between the two stories, but they're very similar stories. Um, so to keep you on your toes, I'll help you and t- tell you which verse we're looking at when. But we're going, to, we're going to be back and forth between the two parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. So as, as this thing is happening, then verse 2 says, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Well, see, the Pharisees had already made up their mind they wouldn't be caught with these kinds of people. They didn't want their reputation tarnished, and they didn't know what to offer them. The only thing they could offer them was more law. But Jesus, full of grace, full of mercy... He came and hung out with the people that nobody else would because he loved them and they were of great value to him and he wanted to see them be redeemed and live for the Lord. He recognized their need for redemption. So the first thing we're going to see is Jesus' pursuit of the lost, of the, the lost person. Look with me in verse 4. He says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, 
If he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Now, the, the shepherd who has a hundred sheep and loses one, how much money would he lose if that one were never recovered? If we're um, in these small hillside farms around West Virginia with a couple of cows or a few cattle and a, a few, maybe a few sheep or maybe a few chickens, and you lose one, it can be sort of devastating to the hillside farmer here in West Virginia. For one who has a hundred sheep and you lose one, on paper, that's not a great loss. Yet, the shepherd is to go after him. Now, to push the boundaries of this parable more, it could be, this, and, and this is not, this is, Jesus tells a parable, has main thrust for what its meaning is, and then we start pushing boundaries to see, you know, well, what about this? What about this? What if he's a hired hand? And what if he's going after the sheep? Because his, he feels obligation to his master that he report that all the sheep are still in good shape. That's after all his job. So is he doing this after obligation? And my thought on this, if, if you're the owner of the sheep and, and you have the right and the ability to count one as a loss and it's not a great deal and you know, you're kind of, uh, you've got your mind on your business and you're going to drive these sheep somewhere, maybe you're not going to take the time to go look for the other one. Obligation changes things. But this thrust of this parable is not about obligation. It's not about the shepherd's obligation, but it's about the shepherd's love. And we see that with the context it's in, where it has come from, and where it's going to. So, I prefer to think of this as one that is motivated out of love and not obligation. Now, that duty eventually turns to delight, and that's a whole different topic. I think in this, it's just simply driven by love. This, this great shepherd of the sheep is driven by love. And we'll, we'll address that here in a second. If you will hop, we were at verse 4. We're talking about the sheep and the shepherd. Look at verse 8. Because in both of these, it's, we got something lost. So in verse 8, he says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she, do, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? So the woman does the same thing. She experiences loss of something that was of great worth to her. Now, it was likely worth like a day's wages for a laborer. So, it's significant, and it appears to be something that's significant, of of significant value to her. And this is, I think, an interesting uh, deal here, where I think the sheep had value, yes. But I think the motivation for going after it was because of the love he had. This one, I think it's because this is so valuable to her. And it's kind of like losing your wallet, assuming you had something in it chances are good, that's going to be panic-stricken, and we're going to go after it. She has lost this one coin, and financially, this is going to devastate her or be hurting to her if she doesn't recover it. So, she goes on search. She opens up the door to let more light in. She lights this lamp. She, she, does, she sweeps the floor. She gets the straw out of the way in case it's rolled out. You, you've done this. You've lost small things that are valuable, and you've, you're, you're going to tear the place apart until you find this thing. That's what she's doing. She's in the great search. She's got to find her valuable coin. The great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus, diligently seeks after the lost sheep because he loves you. The great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus, seeks diligently after his lost sheep because you have great value to him. This is what these two stories are telling us. 
They're not, these two stories are not telling us how we are to respond when we've lost something. This is telling us that Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, is one who is going to seek that which is lost. Ezekiel uh, prophesied against the leaders of the Old Testament because they were like these Pharisees and they weren't willing to go after the sheep. They weren't willing to feed the sheep. And it's a beautiful passage and it marries with a few different passages in the New Testament. And I, I've only, only got two verses. Okay, three. Three verses out of Ezekiel 34. The whole passage is beautiful. I just wanted to kind of share it and I thought, okay, I could do like a three-hour sermon. I selected three verses for you. He said, in Ezekiel, it says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds, And thick darkness. Then in verse 16, he says, I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat, and the strong, I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Powerful, powerful words that the prophet Ezekiel is saying, and when it starts into this I, that's not Ezekiel, he's saying that this is what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying that he himself will go and be the one who gathers up the sheep. He's a little mad at the religious leaders of the day, the shepherds, the under-shepherds of the sheep, because they were not feeding the sheep well. They were leading them astray. The same thing is happening, and this is what I love seeing promise and fulfillment. And we're seeing promise in Old Testament that he would come and dwell among his people. And he is, and this is the story. This shepherd in here is, is, the, is, is Jesus himself, God in the flesh. He comes to earth and dwells among his people. John says he tabernacles among his people. He comes and lives among his people so that he can rescue them from where they have been scattered. I think this is this is just this is fantastic. I read in one of my commentaries that a, a, a well-known I didn't know him a well-known Jewish commentator had said that about these parables that um, the rabbis knew that God would welcome a sinner, but this is fresh news to them that God would actually seek after the lost. I find that to be amazing since we just read. That's what he said he was going to do. He said he would come and he would seek. This is why we call him the hound of heaven. He will seek after that which is lost. Perhaps you have been looking for this elusive God or for this elusive peace. You maybe you've had a restless spirit and you've been seeking other things to find answers, to find answers to life's questions, to find answers for that peace which your restless heart seeks. It may be that we're asking a wrong question. It may be that 
that our question should not be, how can I find God? But how can God find me? Blaise Pascal from the 1600s, he was a mathematician, a a physicist, a philosopher. He was a man of many gifts. Um, He seemed to hear God saying to his soul, you could not be seeking me if I had not already found you. You see, the, the hound of heaven seeks and finds his lost sheep. So when this stirring is in you, it's because he has already created that stirring. He has already found you. Let's look at Jesus' joy at recovery. First verse we're going to look at is verse 5 and 6 out of the first parable. It's back to the sheep, the shepherd. It says, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And 6 And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found the sheep that was lost. Then hop down to verse 9. Woman's story, same story. And when she found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. You, and you know how you know how this is the, to experience real joy. When when we are moved, we want to share that joy. Also, when we are in in deep grief, we need to share that grief with others. We need to feel the and experience the love of God in those times through God's people. But even in a very secular way, when we've done something. And we're excited about that. We don't want to just keep it to ourselves. We want to share that with others. Ryan, like myself, took a long time to get through school. When he got through school, he had a party. And rightfully so. We wanted to celebrate the fact that he was done. I've had good intentions of having my party, and I never did. So at least I went to Ryan's, and we got to celebrate. And can you imagine what that would have been like? This, this shepherd in this, in this setting, in this parable, he would have known that that sheep that was lost was ignorant. Sheep are ignorant. Sheep are dumb, they say. Sheep, sheep don't know a lot of things. They, they, need, they need a lot of help. The shepherd knew that. And so his, his heart's breaking. And, and those things, if you've, if you've been an animal uh, person and you've, uh, you've tended animals, some are smarter than others, some you worry when they're out of your sight because you're like, they can't make it back. That's the deal with the sheep. He wouldn't have enough sense to find his way back to the fold. He's lost. I must see him. So he, he goes from the clear pasture and leaves those that are in it in the clear pasture to go out through the thickets into the ravine and find the one that is lost, the one that strayed. And when he gets home, when he finds it, it's time to celebrate, but then he brings it home. And um, he, he, he tells his neighbors, you've got to come celebrate with me. You know, my heart was bro- broken. I was, I was in all kinds of angst over this sheep. And please come rejoice with me because this sheep has been found. It was lost and now it's found. So friends, neighbors, please, please come. And the same thing happened with the woman. It's the exact same thing according to this story that Jesus tells. She found her coin and she rejoiced. And then she called her friends and said, come celebrate with me. Celebrate the good news that I found the coin which I had lost. And celebrate with me and, and share in my relief. Share the joy of my relief. 
And so they do. Both these stories, these friends hear this good news. They share the joy of their hosts. And so they come to this party with high fives, back slapping, hugs, laughing, just joyous because of what has been accomplished. Not unlike our parties when we're celebrating something good. And our we're, we're entering, we, we come from our average ordinary day, but we enter into our host's emotional uh, response to what has happened, and we, we are happy for them, and we are lifted. Our spirits are lifted as well. This is what's going on here. Well, Jesus, who is our shepherd, sees his lost sheep, and he goes to them. He finds, he seeks them out. He knows they're lost, and he seeks them out. This hound of heaven, he goes. He's not waiting for them to have good news in their heads and turn to follow him. He goes and seeks them out. He finds them. He binds up their wounds. He dusts them off. Then he puts us on his shoulders and carries us to safety. In doing so, Philip Melanchthon, who is Martin Luther's right-hand man, He said, he places us on his shoulders. He places on his shoulders the sheep he has found. That is, he transfers to himself the burden of us. What Melanchthon's talking about is how at the cross, our burdens, our sin debt, our burden was transferred to Jesus. So Jesus finds us, heals us, wraps our wounds and transfers that burden to himself as he carries us to safety. The next thing we are going to look at is Jesus' eternal joy. Because there's this, this earthly party that's going on. But then he goes on. That's not enough. It's not enough that we've invited friends. It's not enough that we've invited family. It's not enough that we've celebrated and that we've given high fives and hugs. Look what else we're going to do. Jesus' eternal joy, verse 7, says, Just so, I tell you, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Imagine him at the end of the table and outside the gates have come these sinners and tax collectors and he's addressing them and saying, you who know you need a Savior, you who know you need redemption, there's going to be more rejoicing when you come than all these people who I'm hanging out with who invited me. These righteous people who don't know they even need a sinner, a savior. He's not, not, he never is really saying that there are people who are so righteous they never need a savior. Scathing, this nice, beautiful, kind, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, Kenny Loggins, Jesus we have. Verse 10 says, just so I tell you, this is, verse 10 is, your, is the woman's story. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So here's the picture. Our God is rejoicing, high-fiving, back-slapping, smiling, laughing, crying with tears of joy over the sinner when that sinner repents and comes to faith. Our God is a smiling Jesus because of the joy he has when those who are lost come to him. And he rejoices more 
in those who come to him than he has over those who are already his. The angels, the archangels, all join him in heavenly praise. There's a party in heaven when one comes to faith. Bernard of Clairvaux wrote, The tears of the repentant form the wine of angels. The angels drink this wine from the tears of those who are sorry over their sin and turn to him. And then those angels rejoice because of this grace that another one has turned to God. Back to the man in the parking lot with the big wad of keys. So, me being as ignorant as I still am, I see this man with the big wad of keys and I can get him a car. Our car. That's a three or four year old. So I'm saying, well, that dude with all these keys, maybe he's got a key to fit my car. Let me in my car. Because I can't find mom and my sisters. I don't know where they are. So, and I know you're not supposed to talk to strangers. I knew that. But he's walking across the parking lot and I'm sitting by the car and he wasn't looking at me. So I said, hello. So with that, he says, well, hello. And then he starts talking to me and he let me know that he was the manager of the Murphys. And so he put me on his shoulders and took me across those two streets and took me back to Murphy's and delivered me safely back to my mother who had been panic-stricken and she was worried to death. And while I was looking for her, she was looking for me. this, this, This is the thing that gets me up every day. Can I share this good news with somebody? It's not that you're trying to find him. He's already found you. Would you please submit and live for him? He loves you and you are a great value to him. So my people, rest assured that you either were or are in the lost sheep category. Hear this good news. Jesus either sought or he's seeking after you today. He finds you precious, precious in his sight. He loves you, and you are of great value to him. After he sought you, bound you up, he returned from rescuing you, and the angels in heaven had rejoiced at that time. If you don't know him today, the angels are anxiously awaiting for you to finally submit and say, I believe. Then they will celebrate. But they don't celebrate alone. Your salvation is cause for our God to celebrate. You, because of your death to self, laying it down, surrendering to him, causes God to celebrate. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.